Thank you, Carolyn. Good morning. As Carolyn said, my name is Dustin, um, and I'm one of the leaders here at Hope City. If I haven't had a chance to get to know you yet, you can probably already tell that I'm not from around here. Um, Our family moved to Scotland three years ago. And moving to a new culture, moving to a new country, comes with a really steep learning curve. They're the obvious things, right? Driving on the right side of the road instead of the left, learning how to use roundabouts, and paying for everything in pounds. But there are a lot of less obvious things to learn as you're integrating into a new culture. In our first few months here, my wife Katie went to get her hair cut. As she was talking to her hairdresser, somehow the topic of bum bags came up. Now, some of you may know that uh, we call bum bags something slightly different in America, something that I can't say on a Sunday morning in a church. It includes a word that is totally fine to say in America, but is extremely offensive to some people here in the UK, maybe everyone. Um, Luckily, in this case, it just led to a few laughs. But when you're in a new culture, opportunities to offend someone and to be offended are absolutely everywhere. When two different worlds collide... Like when we moved to Scotland, questions, tensions, and misunderstandings are bound to come up. That's the environment we're dealing with here this morning. In this passage, two worlds are colliding, two worldviews that in many ways are radically different, and both of these cultures are being turned upside down by the good news about Jesus. What happens when two worlds and one life-changing message all collide at the same time? Well, let's find out by looking at Acts chapter 15, verses 22 through 35. Lorna's going to come up and read our passage for us. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers, With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some of you went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear brothers, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lorna. Well, if you were with us last week, you'll remember Ian's main point. Shout it out with me. Jesus equals everything. Exactly. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Ian explained to us how this passage, Acts 15, is the fulcrum of the book of Acts. 
And it decides a pivotal question in the early church. As the good news about Jesus was spreading, as the church of Jesus Christ was expanding, the question arose, do Gentiles need to convert to Judaism? Do they need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to be saved? So some of the primary leaders of the church got together and settled the debate. Do they need to keep the law and be circumcised? The resounding answer was no. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We can't do anything to become acceptable acceptable to God. Salvation only comes through grace. It's a free gift that we can't do anything to earn. We pick up the story just after that decision was made. The leaders want to communicate this to the church in Antioch, so they send four men in this letter. Now, after last week, if you're anything like me, you probably expected the letter to look something like this. Dear Antioch, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Sincerely, the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. Short, simple, to the point. It's catchy and memorable. It would make a great tweet. And it's absolutely true. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But instead, we get something a bit different. We get a list of rules. You're to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. This seems like an odd response. At the beginning of the year, when I found out we were going through the book of Acts, I read through the book of Acts twice uh, in preparation. And of all the things that happened in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit being poured out, people being healed and raised from the dead, the church expanding rapidly, it was this passage that stuck out to me. It's so strange. What was going on here? I remember thinking, good luck to whoever has to explain that one. (laughs) And now here we are. What's going on? Why do we have this list of rules? Well, I think there are at least three reasons we have this specific response. The first is this. It's an affirmation of the simple gospel message that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Even though I began by wondering why the letter didn't simply say this, it does affirm the simple gospel message. And it does it in a few ways that might not be so obvious on first glance. At least they weren't to me. The first way they affirm that Jesus plus nothing equals everything is by sending these four men. Paul, Barnabas, Judas, and Silas, to confirm the decision that has been made. The Antioch church has already heard this simple gospel message. It's the message that Paul and Barnabas have been sharing with them from the very beginning. So we can be confident that when Paul and Barnabas show up, they continue to share that exact same message. But it's not just Paul and Barnabas. Leaders from the church in Jerusalem come to confirm by word of mouth the decision that has been made. Verse 32 tells us that they say much to encourage and strengthen the believers, carrying the weight of the church in Jerusalem. If there was any doubt, any question as to whether the Gentiles are accepted just as they are, Judas and Silas are sent to affirm their standing from God with the backing of the church in Jerusalem. Well, the second way they affirm the simple gospel message that Jesus plus nothing equals everything is by strongly condemning those who shared a different message. You remember last week the end shared that some were saying Jesus plus law equals salvation. Look with me at how this letter describes those people who were sharing the false message, Jesus plus the law. Verse 24 says, We have heard some of us that some went out from, from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. Do you see what they're saying here? First, they say these people came without our authorization. We didn't send them. This is not our message, nor our messengers. We didn't have anything to do with it. But then they go even further, describing what what 
describing what they, said, what they did as disturbing their minds and troubling their minds. I, I love the word that is translated here as troubling. Uh, this, this word is originally, uh, the Greek word here is originally a military term that meant plundering a town. And I think it's a perfect image of what's happening here. Particularly in, in ancient times, when an invading force would plunder a town, they would take everything of value, robbing the, the inhabitants of everything they hold dear. When we accept the message of Jesus plus anything, we are robbed of the most valuable thing that we have, our free assurance that we are acceptable and loved before God. Jesus plus anything leaves us confused and hurting, robbed of our assurance before God. Knowing that we are loved and accepted by God based on absolutely nothing that we have done is worth fighting for. That's what we see here, an affirmation of the simple gospel message that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The second thing this response accomplishes is that it safeguards the unity of the church. That's where we get into the seemingly tricky part of the passage. I think it's best summed up by Henry's question from the Q&R time last week. Is he not contradicting himself? Verses 10 and 11 say grace alone. Then verse 20, he lists things that they must do. Can we eat black pudding? Um, Very important question. They spent all this time discussing and then strongly affirming the simple gospel message that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And then they hit us with this list of rules. Thankfully, Thankfully, I think there are a couple things that give us insight into what's going on here. The first is simple, logical coherency. They've just made it abundantly clear that salvation is through grace alone. So whatever these rules are, this list, we can be confident that they are not a prerequisite for salvation. They must be here for some other reason. The second thing that helps us understand what's going on here is the nature of these four restrictions themselves. Abstaining from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. What are these things, and why are they important to the Gentile Christians in Antioch? I believe all of these things are part of the massive paradigm shift that we have happening throughout the whole book of Acts, and particularly what's happening with this massive paradigm shift here in Acts 15. And so I think it's helpful actually to look back, beginning with Acts chapter 10, at what has already happened when Peter sees a vision from God, and God tells Peter to eat animals that would have been um, restricted by the law of Moses. Acts 10 verses 13 through 16 say this, Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Peter rebukes God. That's that's pretty wild, isn't it? But not only does he rebuke God, he rebukes God three times. This is such a huge paradigm shift that it takes God telling Peter three times through a vision for him to get it. And what happens next is that Peter goes to a large gathering of Gentiles. And look at what Peter says in Acts chapter 10, verse 28. He said to them, he's speaking to the Gentiles, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anything impure or unclean. Peter gets it. And he's happy to eat with the Gentiles but what's the response of some of the other Jewish Christians when they hear what happened? Well, Acts eleven two and 3 tells us, 
So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, the big idea that's happening here in Acts 10 is that the Gentiles can be a part of the people of God. They don't have to keep the law. They don't have to be circumcised. They only need to have faith in Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But remember, this is a massive paradigm shift. A shift this big takes time to fully understand all the implications of. God has shown Peter that he can associate with the Gentiles. But even Peter struggles to continue to live out this new truth, the implications of this giant shift. Paul talks about this very thing in Galatians chapter 2. Look at me with what Paul says in verses 11 and 12. He says, When Peter came to Antioch, the place we're talking about, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Peter is the one that first associated with the Gentiles. Peter is the one that, that said, God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. And here we have Peter separating himself from the Gentile believers. All of that background gives us the context that we need to understand why the Gentiles have been asked to keep these four restrictions. The debate over the heart of the gospel has been settled. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But the unity of the church is at risk. We have two different cultures colliding. The Jewish world and the Gentile world are coming together under the lordship of Jesus. Paul says it like this in Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But as Peter's actions show us, this unification doesn't come without tension and difficulty. It has to be fought for. It's not automatic because we are imperfect people. And often our beliefs and our actions don't line up. Just like Peter's beliefs and his actions didn't line up when he pulled away from the Gentiles. Okay, so in light of all that, we can understand that these restrictions are put in place not as a prerequisite for salvation, but as a way to guard the unity of the Jewish and Gentile believers. Many Jewish believers would have still felt really uneasy about eating food that had blood in it, food that was always considered unclean. So for the sake of their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, the Gentile believers are asked to give up some of their rights, to restrict their diet so that these tensions don't, lead, don't keep getting bigger and bigger and lead to disunity. Now you're probably thinking, then what in the world is sexual immorality doing in this list? That's definitely what I was thinking when I read it. I think it's best not to understand this as a general prohibition against sexual immorality. They, the, the church here would have already known that sexual immorality was against Jesus' teaching. Paul would have been, made that very clear to them, as he did in all of his letters to every, all the Gentile, majority Gentile churches. I think instead what's happening here is this is a specific kind of sexual immorality that would have been really clear to the church in Antioch, to the Gentiles, but is unclear to us today. It might be something like Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18 talks about um, marriage relationships and how you shouldn't marry someone who's a close relative like a first cousin. Uh, the Gentiles may not have um, understood this in the same way. It may have been offensive to the Jews. Actually, Paul deals with this very issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And that restriction in Leviticus is right next to the restrictions on food with blood in it. So I think there's probably something like that, some kind of cultural um, 
aspect of sexual immorality that we can't quite understand, not just a blanket ban on sexual immorality. That, that already exists. We already know that. But probably something that the Jewish believers would have been offended by, that the Gentile believers may have been more comfortable with. So then why do we have this list of prohibitions? So that, uh, all in summary, this is an appeal to the Gentile Christians to give up some of their freedom in Christ for the sake of the consciences of others. Specifically, Jewish converts who would have still felt uneasy about their freedom in Christ around certain aspects of the law. This restriction of personal freedom wasn't for their salvation, but for the sake of maintaining the unity in the life of the early church, removing a potential stumbling block for Jewish Christians. This letter affirms the simple gospel message that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and it safeguards the unity of the church. Well, finally, I think there's a third, third thing that this response accomplishes. It ensures the continued spread of the simple gospel message. The first way it does this is by removing the unnecessary burdens and stumbling blocks for Gentiles to receive the gospel message. Here in verse 10, Peter describes the law as a yoke that no Jew could bear. Only Jesus could perfectly fulfill the law, which is why Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Then in verse 19, James says that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. The implication is clear. They want to remove any unnecessary stumbling blocks for the Gentiles who are turning to God. But this list of restrictions also ensures the continued spread of the gospel among the Jews. It's important to remember at this point, uh, Christianity is still largely a Jewish movement. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion, he came to fulfill all the promises that God had already made. Asking the Gentiles to give up some of their freedom for the sake of others removes a huge stumbling block for the Jews who don't yet believe in Jesus. You can imagine that the Jews who would have seen the Christians would have thought, I can't associate with them, they're unclean. They eat food with blood in it. It would have been a huge stumbling block for them to hear the message about Jesus. So by restricting their diet, Um, by asking the Gentile Christians to restrict their diet, it removes an unnecessary stumbling block to that message that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. They wanted to remove any obstacle that would have kept people from hearing that truth so that Jesus could change the hearts of Jews who didn't yet believe. This response ensures the continued spread of the simple gospel message that Jesus plus nothing equals everything for both Jews and Gentiles. Okay, so what does this mean for us? living 2,000 years later, living in a wildly different culture, a wildly different context, how does this apply to you and to me? And more importantly, can we eat black pudding? Uh, This is such an important question. We've got to get to the bottom of it. Well, first and foremost, we must constantly affirm and reaffirm that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We love Jesus plus. We love it so much, that's why when Em was talking last week, Every one of us felt something when he was going through that list of what Jesus plus is. He hit every one of us because we all love to try and take back control of our lives. We love to make it about us and earning our place, earning our acceptance before God. But when we are rooted in the truth that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, that gives us the freedom to blow it. It gives us the freedom to fail and to fall short. But the amazing thing that happens when we are rooted in that freedom That freedom doesn't make us want to fail or fall short. It does the exact opposite. It frees us from the burden of performing and inspires us to live our lives for Jesus. Root yourself, your identity, in Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the foundation. And if you don't start there, it becomes impossible to faithfully follow God. 
affirm and reaffirm to yourself and others that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The second thing we need to do is remove the stumbling blocks of culture. What do I mean by that? Well, you'll remember that, the, in, uh, uh, that we've called this series in the book of Acts the final chapter. The story of God's people is still being written. We're living it today. God's mission is still advancing. And you and I have a part to play. We want to help other people know and believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But often, the message we tell others is Jesus plus my culture equals everything. We all have a tendency to see our culture not as culture, but as righteousness, that we're right. So instead of bringing the simple gospel message, we bring the Western gospel message, or the Scottish gospel message, or the American gospel message. Don't believe me? Look at this quote from Mahatma Gandhi. About this time, I heard of a well-known Hindu having been converted to Christianity. It was the talk of the town that when he was baptized, he had to eat beef and drink liquor, that he also had to change his clothes, and that henceforth he began to go about in European costume, including a hat. Do you see what happened here? These European missionaries living in India were bringing a message of Jesus plus my culture, and it's heartbreaking. Hindus don't need to eat beef to be saved. They simply need to believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. As Christians, we should be the most culturally adaptable people in the entire world. Christianity Christianity isn't about conforming to a list of rules or looking a certain way. It's about following a person, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we carry this message, we should work hard to remove any unnecessary unnecessary barriers of culture. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.9, I have become all things to all people that I might win some. Now, you might be thinking, I don't know how to become all things to all people. Well, that's okay. Start with one person. Who's one person in your life that doesn't know and believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything? Think about it for a second. How might they answer this question? I could never be a Christian because I believe blank. I could never become a Christian because I don't blank. If that blank is anything except I could never be a Christian because I don't believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, then that's an unnecessary barrier to the gospel. It's a cultural barrier that it may be something true about who we are as Christians, but it's not the gospel message. It's a barrier. And so we need to remove all those unnecessary barriers so they can hear the heart of the gospel first and then respond to that gospel message. How can you help that person in your life remove a stumbling block that they have to hear the simple gospel message? Okay, now to finally answer the question, can we eat black pudding? I'm sure that's why you're all here this morning. Uh, I know that's why we all showed up. Well, I think the answer is, it depends. I know that's not, a, that's not what you're looking for. It depends on this last point. We need to act with love, freely giving up our rights for the sake of others. In Romans 14, 19 through 21, Paul says this, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Will eating black pudding cause another Christian to sin? Probably not, at least not in Scotland. 
I don't think as Christians in Scotland in 2021, we're meant to follow these specific restrictions. However, what we are called to do is something a lot more difficult. We're called to give up our rights and our preferences for the sake of others. The Gentile believers could have eaten black pudding, but they're asked not to for the sake of their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. We too should act in that kind of love, love that doesn't demand that we keep our freedom in Christ to eat any kind of food, love that doesn't demand um, that I'm going to always eat black pudding, even if it offends someone else. No, it's a love that says, I won't eat black pudding if it will cause my family in Christ to stumble. This is why it's so important that we understand that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because that message sets us free. It gives us the kind of freedom that says, I will gladly give up my rights, my preferences, my worldview out of love for God and for others. This is so much harder than just following a simple set of rules. It means we should constantly be asking, what does it look like for me to love this person well? Once we're set free from the burden of acceptance, uh, set free of the burden of earning our acceptance before God, it becomes so much easier to freely give away our rights for the sake of others. When you've already got the most important thing, everything else becomes secondary. Affirm and reaffirm that Jesus plus nothing equals everything so that you are free to act in love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, the love that is so clearly expressed in that simple gospel truth that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We thank you that because of Jesus' sacrifice, because Jesus fulfilled the whole law, that we are not bound to anything except for the law of love to follow after Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and to live in the power of the Holy Spirit so that the fruit of your spirit is evident in our lives, particularly the the fruit of love. So we pray that you'd help each of us understand how we can better love one another in the church and love those who are outside the church this week. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.